so I've spent my career in the video games industry, uh, companies like LucasArts, Microsoft. Uh, my last company did video games for Hollywood movies. So this is, this is the world that I come from. Um, I spent my career in video games, but my family is a family of doctors. My grandfather was a famous doctor. Both of my parents, my wife, I'm the disgrace that didn't go to medical school. Uh, I have, I mean, you want the long version? I have, you know, I have terrible stories here. So I mean, back in 2006, I accepted a technical Emmy on behalf of my team at Microsoft for pushing the cutting edge of interactive entertainment. It's not the Emmy they show on TV. It's the one they do beforehand, but it's, it's the same, it's the same statue. Uh, and I call my parents to let them know. And my dad picks up the phone. I tell him, and he's an anesthesiologist without skipping a beat. He goes, yeah, Sam, that's very nice. But in this family, we only recognize Nobel prizes. He goes, you're not yet 30 years old. You can still go to medical school. I'll pay for it. So this is, this is where I come from. So in 2000. 12, he gave up and he said, all right, you're too old to go to medical school. At least put all this <laughs> gaming silliness to good use. Make me a game to train my colleagues to do a fiber optic intubation. It's a rare procedure. We only do it on difficult patients. Even experienced anesthesiologists can struggle with it if they haven't done enough cases. He goes, just make me a game they can play on their phones. I don't want to drag anyone to the simulation center. So I'm busy running a game company at the time. So out of guilt, I, I throw together a quick little game for him and his friends and I upload it to the app store so they can just play and leave me alone. I don't have to install it on their phones one by one. I don't think about it again. Two years later in 2014, he calls me. He goes, hey, Sam, how many people downloaded the game? I go, Dad, I don't know how many of your friends downloaded it, but I'll check. I went and I looked and we had 100,000 doctors, nurses and airway specialists worldwide who've been playing this thing. I Google it and I discover unbeknownst to me, this crappy game I threw together for my dad, they've been doing efficacy studies on this game at institutions all over the world that shows that it's drastically improving physician performance. And so that was the motivation for starting Level X. I would love to say that Level X was some grand idea, but that I had, but really it just came out by accident. We sort of revealed the demand for this sort of thing. And we said, all right, well, what if instead of just Sam and his free time, we took you know, the top artists, designers, engineers from across the video games industry, folks who've been working on everything from you know, Mortal Kombat to Words with Friends, and we team them up with you know, hundreds of top physicians and we, use, you know, we capture the challenges of the practice of medicine using video game technology. That's how some of the best stuff comes together, right? You take experts from two fields and you mash them together and you find out that those two things haven't really been combined like that before. Definitely. And especially when it comes to games, because the games industry is pretty far right. ahead of other industries in a lot of areas, technology, neuroscience, economics. We have a couple of serious gamers on our team and I forget which one of the games they downloaded of yours and they said, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but it's fun. Like it, it's like <laughs> legit fun. He's like, I'm, I'm figuring, I think I'm figuring it out. I think if I had actually went, went to school for this, I'd probably be really good at it. But they were kind of stumbling through having fun with it as a complete, you know, not knowing a clue what's going on, but they had, it was like, this is an interesting game. I want to learn more about just from a gaming standpoint. You know what I mean? Well, the, the games are, they're not built for muggles. So some of our games, like if you're playing Gastro X, 
or Palmex, you can figure out, you know, it's sort of like a first person shooter. You can solve the physics puzzle of how to remove the embedded nail from the patient's airway. But some of our games like Cardio X, you know, you're literally doing, you know, you're playing the game under x-ray fluoroscopy, navigating guide wires inside a live beating human heart. Like if you don't know your way around the vasculature of the heart, that game is very, very difficult to play. I mean, these games are not designed to teach you how to become a doctor. We let medical school do that. These games are designed that, you know, once you are practicing, now what we're going to do is present you with dozens of the most rare, challenging, unforeseen cases in your specialty, whether it's diagnosis, treatment, procedures, and let you try your hand at it. So it's really designed for, you know, it, it's designed for doctors. If you haven't gone to medical school, you some of the content you just can't play. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about the comment from the, from the guy on our team was that he was saying, if I knew a little bit more about this, he's like, this is fun already. If I knew a lot, a little bit more about this would be a ton of fun. I'd play this all the time. And I thought, you know, I think in a lot of industries, they have these simulators and things. I've never heard anybody use the word fun uh, associated with those. Um, it just felt like some clunky, you know, I guess, interactive something or other in addition to a textbook, but it felt like work. Yeah. They, that yes, it's most of the content out there is not only visually not that realistic, but you have to spend more time learning how to use the simulator than you actually do often learning how to do the procedure you're trying to do on the simulator. And so for us, recreating the procedure and the visuals and everything else is just one piece of the puzzle. All of that technology is in the service of game design. How do humans learn? Humans learn through play. That is one of the most effective ways of learning. Mammals have learned through play through tens of million, for tens of millions of years. Like we've evolved to learn by playing with things. When you, you know, and building that play environment, building that game where you hit the right balance of reward and frustration, challenge and skill, you know, the, this is how games are designed. This is why they're so supremely effective at driving learning and skill development at scale. Most simulators, they're just like, oh, how do I create an artificial version of the procedure? And it, it's just not very, it's not nearly as effective at, you know, really helping you develop an intuitive understanding of what's going on. It doesn't help you develop a mental model of that complex system. Yeah, you can, you can play over and over again. You can keep score. You can get that feedback loop of how you're doing. You can compete with others. That's a whole other aspect of that. Who, who would you describe as, as the uh, like power players or the people who are like in your core center of like the people who really love what you're putting out? So what's been interesting and we're, 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 we're collecting some of this data now, what we're seeing is the doctors who enjoy the games the most are the ones who see the most patients, hmm. which is interesting. We haven't delved much deeper in, like we're still trying to delve into that. It may just be that like, you know, in contrast to the other modalities of training that they get, ours is very efficient. So as opposed to like, you know, listening to an hour lecture and completing a multiple choice test here within that hour, you're actually playing through potentially dozens of diagnostic cases, treatment cases, or virtual procedures. And so it's just a very efficient modality of doing things like earning continuing medical education credit. It's also obviously fun. Um, but what we generally find is, I mean, as we've seen, this works across every, every specialty we've tried it on in medicine. Um, and we're seeing that it resonates the most strongly with doctors that you know, are um, 
you know, that are seeing the most patients in their practices. That's interesting. I would, uh, I would have never guessed that if you would have said, Hey, guess what dimension this is. I, it, it sounds like they're the power players in real life and they're the power players, uh, on the applications, but yeah, I would have never guessed that. I mean, also what we find is, you know, a lot of, a lot of doctors that, you know, really, you know, they're the ones that like attend the conferences and whatnot for what we call sort of like the zebra cases, like the rare unforeseen mm-hmm. once in a lifetime. And I think some of the, you know, some of one of the reasons that they're, you know, that they, they, they play our games is because it's an opportunity to literally sit down for a few hours and play through something between, you know, five and 10 lifetimes worth of rare cases, right? Because some of these mm-hmm. things never actually, you may never see. Uh, and so, you know, they really, that, that provides a lot of, you know, not only fun, but also satisfaction of curiosity, which is, by the way, you know, one of the main motivators why people play whole genres of consumer video games. How much of a competitive aspect do you see among users where they're comparing scores and that type of thing? It depends. It depends on the player. So in general, doctors index more on the competitive side than others. That's just sort of the nature of, you know, the highly competitive process they get through usually to get to where they are. Um, That being said, though, it's not universal. Just like in games, there are people who love playing games that are fiercely competitive and some people don't. Uh, We find that the same thing is true for doctors. It's it's not homogeneous. Um, Certain doctors are more competitive and are driven more by competitive play. Some are driven more actually just by competing with themselves to get the better score for themselves. And, you know, others are motivated by, um, you know, by things like intellectual curiosity. And so it's not one of the things that we've seen is, you know, within each specialty, doctors play differently. And even across specialties, their play behavior can be different. Dermatologists play differently than gastroenterologists. Yeah, what what you've put together, I mean, it's it's a very cool product. It's a very cool game. You know, one of the one of the tasks here is to make sure that you get the early adopters to pick it up and they vouch for it. You get feedback from them, make the make the games better. But the goal is to get into the mainstream, right? Like get into where everybody knows this and everybody can access this. Where what are you seeing? Uh, who would you describe as sort of your early adopters, the ones who jumped right on immediately? They're like, oh yeah, this is great. And where do you see yourself in kind of that, that, uh, that journey to get to the mainstream? Where would you say you guys are at today? Okay. So, I mean, in terms of early adopters, one of the things that's important to understand is just like we actually do this when we make consumer games too, is we, before we've launched a game in a specialty, we've generally had hundreds of doctors and sometimes also, you know, nurses and, and um, other medical professionals in that specialty play the game at various stages to make sure that it's not only it's accurate, but it captures the challenge and it's fun. We do a lot of tweaking based on that feedback. So generally, the, you know, even throughout development, you've got key opinion leaders in medicine that are submitting the early initial cases that serve as our advisors. And then, so we have a group of advisors that we're iterating with very closely. And then we have a group of contributors and beta testers that are testing and validating the game. So, but, you know, so when it actually launches in the app store, it's already been heavily played. Um, in terms of, okay, so that's sort of, you know, the, where things start, you know, where they go. I mean, we're now at the point now where we've had, you know, millions of people play these games. Um, this year alone, you know, we've got this cloud gaming platform that we've just launched. We're developing literally dozens of what we call virtual technique guides in different specialties, working with different, our, our different industry partners to teach doctors how to do um, everything from, you know, renal procedures to, uh, 
uh, orthopedic procedures, spine procedures, robotics procedures. And so what's happening now is, and, and this is all on our cloud system. So it allows, you know, either a trainer and a surgeon or two surgeons to hop on Zoom or MS Teams and do surgery collaboratively on the same patient, you know, from thousands of miles apart. So we're rolling these out now. Within the next 12 months, you're going to have had surgeons now and, about a, and doctors in a dozen different specialties who will have trained on a virtual patient simulated in the cloud collaboratively with someone who's not in the same room with them. So we're really getting to the point now where this is going from, this is really becoming something kind of mainstream. When we set out sort of the vision of the company was that play, like, you know, our mission is to advance the practice of medicine through play, to accelerate the adoption of new techniques and products using um, video game tech and design. So what happens when we achieve that goal? Well, play just becomes accepted as a fundamental force, accelerating adoption of skills and new techniques in medicine. So today, if I have a new, I have a new device or I'm a surgeon, I come up with a new procedure, how do I disseminate that? Well, today I can give a lecture, I can maybe even make a video, I can submit a paper. The way we want the world to be thinking is five years from now, or I mean, now it seems like it's gonna happen even sooner than, than 2020, let's say 2027, probably closer to 2025. Play will just be accepted as one of those modalities. So when I have a new complex procedure or something where you really need to develop a mental model for a complex system, today I might say, oh, I'll go make a video about it. But in a few, you know, very soon you're gonna say, you know what, you really should make a game for this. You really need to play with this. You really need to understand it. Um, and so play just becomes accepted as one of those fundamental modalities. Um, you know, I would have said, you know, when we started this company, I would have said that that day is very far out. Um, very, very quickly at Level X, what we're realizing is that's no longer going to be the case. So maybe a couple of years ago, you said, oh, Level X makes games for doctors. And you said, like, games for doctors, you'd raise an eyebrow, like what the heck is games for doctors? We're quickly getting to the point where people go, yeah, like games for doctors, of course, like that's, you know, like that's always been a thing. So that's the vision that we want to achieve. And you know, I feel like we're, we're, we're going to be there within the next few years. Uh, it seems to me that this is, uh, an old, I mean, in some ways, an old concept that's been applied to other industries. Uh, education, as an example, like we've known for a long time, like if you can make learning fun, kids are going to do it and they won't resist it. And, you, and then data shows that it works, right? But you're talking about an industry that's very serious and probably there's a stigma against play and games and things like that, this, there's big consequences, right? In these industries to getting things right and wrong. But just like anything else, if you, we know that fundamentally uh, play can advance things faster than other techniques. And if the data shows that it works, then it's hard to argue with that. And it sounds like you guys have made enough progress, gathered enough data that people can look at it and it's hard to, for them to argue. I mean, even if there is a stigma or this bias against it, that you're overcoming it uh, because you've got the proof and the results, right? I agree. I think a lot of the stigma and bias came because what was being produced in the sort of simulative training space was fairly mediocre. Um, I mean, coming from the video games industry, like you would yeah. look at the kind of things that doctors were training on and it looked like video games out of the 90s. Right. Um, at the same time, medicine itself, I mean, it's, you know, it's data driven, it's peer reviewed, like that's what we're doing here. 
So, you know, the content that we're creating, like the data is showing it's, you know, performing better uh, than other modalities of training and consistently across specialties. That's the whole reason the company was founded because basically I learned by accident that this was performing better than other modalities. And on top of that, you've also got the fact that the content we're creating is peer reviewed, just like any other, you know, credible piece of medical content. Um, in some cases it's CME, you can earn, it's CME accredited. So what we're, what we're doing is we're creating content that's undergoing the same processes that you would expect for those other modalities of training, peer review, um, you know, uh, studies on its effectiveness, things like that. But, you know, and, and as a result, it's getting that broad acceptance. From a, if you're a, if you're outside of this industry, but every one of us could be a patient someday somewhere for something, right? If you're just, the, if you have the patient mindset, uh, why are you happy that something like level X exists? Like, how does that, how does that come through to a patient experience? Is it because the doctor that they're now seeing has more uh, sort of learning opportunities and they've got more, they've got quicker pattern recognition. Like, what does it look like for a, for a patient? Oh, across the board, all of this at the end goal here is to improve patient outcomes. So, you know, one of what we talk about accelerating the adoption curve in healthcare. Why, why is it so, What's the problem? The adoption curve in healthcare is very slow. Just because you come out with a new device or a new treatment that's better, it can be years, even decades, until it becomes the standard of care. Why is that? It's not because doctors are Luddites. It's not because they're backwards. So, hey, I'm a surgeon. I've done this procedure the old way 3,000 times. There's a new way that's better. But the first 100 patients that I do it on, it's going to take me longer and the outcomes might not be as good. So who are the hundred patients that I want to have to deal to have to be my sort of training material? It's a very difficult decision. Um, and so the benefit is we can get you to that expert level much quicker without having to put those patients at risk. And so the benefit is, is, is very straightforward. Other examples, even outside of surgery, patients of color, for example, it's been long known, do not get the same outcomes when they visit the dermatologist. Why is that? It's not because the dermatologist is malicious. It's simply because he or she hasn't seen your skin disease at your severity on your skin tone on enough patients in order to be able to pattern, in order to be able to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. And if you open up the textbook, the dermatology textbook, all of the visual examples are all Caucasian patients in a very narrow band of skin tone. So what we were able to do, for example, is use game technology to create a system that allows us to generate any skin disease on skin of any color on any part of the body. And it looks real. So what we can then do is use game mechanics on top of that to help train dermatologists' brains to recognize those skin diseases on skin tones that they normally wouldn't see in their, they might only see on five or 10% of their patients. So immediate benefit to the, both the physician and the patient the patient's more likely to get diagnosed correctly and most more, more likely to be treated correctly. It's, uh, it's hard not to think of the uh, parallels between machine learning uh, with this, with talking about, you know, being able to supply better data and more patterns for them to recognize. I and mean, we were talking about training a, a person, a professional, a highly trained professional, but it's, in some ways it's the same techniques as, as what you're doing in machine learning, which is trying to gather the best data so the machine can learn uh, the best they can, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things is we, we talk about, you know, technology solving problems. In most, in a lot of cases, technology has made this problem worse. 
So ML systems have, in a lot of cases, exacerbated racial disparities oh, yeah. in healthcare because they're training them on Caucasian data sets. Right. And so what's happening is you hear like countless stories of, you know, AI algorithms that just get confused by skin of color or, you know, uh, you know, revolutionary new pulse ox machine that doesn't work on darker skin tones because they didn't test it. And so we see technology in a lot of cases making the problem worse. You know, I think what we're doing at Level X is, you know, it's a great example of game technology being used to make, you know, start chipping away at the problem and hopefully make it better. Yeah, it's great that you guys have an awareness of that and understand that you have an opportunity to where there might have been a lack of, um, I don't know, material where they could see these patterns that you can overcome that sort of deficit in some ways by, by just being more aware of what you're programming and, and what the material and the content is. And then that way with these sort of uh, less likely cases or underserved cases can be in the forefront. People can see it, people can understand it, learn it from opportunities that are outside of what their day-to-day -day looks like. Exactly. And it's not like we came, you know, we, we came up with this idea on our own. Like we asked dermatologists, like what are the challenges that you're facing? Mm. And they brought this problem to us. And then, okay, wait a minute. We think we can actually solve this with video game skin rendering technology. Let's take a look. That's cool. So you've got all these different, uh, you've got all these different players. You've surely heard some interesting feedback. What are, what are some of the surprising, what are some of the more surprising things you've heard from those who have played this game, the games that you're creating, the content that you're creating? Oh, surprising things that, I mean, we're, yeah. We're, we're doing things that have never been done before. So in games, a lot of times you could just look for, you know, you've got plenty of reference material. I want to go create a game company. I got reference material of how to set up my website and how to create my, my page and, you know, how to do every aspect of my game, like menu systems. I got plenty of reference. With, we pull from a lot of that, but there is no reference medical video game company. So we're figuring this out, you know, as we build. So there's all sorts of interesting insights that we continually find about what's actually challenging for doctors versus what isn't. So for example, uh, one, one thing that consistently comes up, if you ask a doctor, and we've learned this, you know, by through trial and error, basically, or through lots of failures um, before we, you know, when we were, we were testing out early prototypes of some of these games, if you ask a doctor, what's, what's challenging about your job? what they will do is they will start telling you what is difficult for a resident or a medical student to learn. But they will not, what comes to mind is not the thing that's actually challenging for them in their day to day. She's like, oh, what's hard about, what's hard? And they'll say, oh, this is what was hard for a resident to learn. Then you'll make a game based on that and they'll start playing and they realize, oh, wait, no, you know, oh, this isn't, this isn't, fun. oh, I know this already. Well, hold on, wait a minute. The question you need to ask is not, what's challenging about your profession? Because then they'll answer with, you know, what's challenging for a resident to learn. You have to ask like, what gives you an adrenaline rush in the operating room? What's the thing that you see that you struggle with? Getting to that answer is actually a lot more difficult because they're not even thinking in that mindset. They're thinking about trainees. And these are just some of, you know, some of the many sort of surprises that we get when we're building, you know, when we, we're building games for audiences for whom games have never been created before. Yeah, you've probably also heard your fair share of success stories or just the things that kind of give your team like the, 
you know, the warm fuzzies of, uh, yeah, yeah, this is why we do this. This is, this is our motivation. Can you think of a couple off the top of your head of those kind oh, of firsthand stories? I mean, we just, yeah. I mean, we, we literally just look at some of the feedback that we get in the games themselves or just in app store reviews, like, you know, scenarios where like, oh, wait a minute, I, I actually recognize this rare disease that I otherwise, you know, would have overlooked because I just played a level with it in the game. Um, you know, just consistent feedback. Like I've been looking for something like this for years, you know, hey, I've never been able to see, you know, this disease on, you know, real skin in my practice. Like these are just, we're constantly getting feedback from, um, from our customers, from our players that, you know, this is that like the, in, in many cases, it's like, think, you know, it's almost talking to you, hey, this was long overdue. Thank you for finally, you know, finally bringing this to the fore and making it possible. That's cool. You mentioned at the beginning of how this came about and it was sort of a, almost an accidental success in some ways. Um, so there's obviously a virality to what you're building because it kind of took off without you even realizing it. I mean, you did not, a, not only were you not pushing it, you didn't even realize it. Um, but then as you, as you start building and trying to get momentum on this, I'm sure there's been times where maybe uh, the growth didn't come as easy as you hoped. Can you think back about some of the obstacles that you had to come overcome either through just getting the value prop right or tweaking the message or understanding the audience better or kind of getting your sales or marketing techniques a little bit ironed out? Was there anything in the past where you're like, that, that was a tough one for a little bit, but we got past it? Oh yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> There's an en endless examples of of mistakes that we've made on, you know, various fronts, um, you know, coming up with a wrong mechanic or, you know, like the example I just gave, right? Misunderstanding feedback from the doctor, like, hey, doctors told us this was really hard. Then you, you know, uh, one example, I'll, I'll sort of, like, we have a gastroenterology game um, where you were literally doing like, you know, complex, you know, uh, lower GI procedures. And there's some really gnarly stuff in there, like crazy bleeds, like hidden polyps, all sorts of really difficult stuff, um, really tricky diagnoses. And we, I remember we, we, one of the challenges that we had asked the doctors about um, was, you know, oh, you know, what's really hard about the procedure? How do you tell the difference between an expert and a novice? And one of the things they told us was like, oh, it's actually, so the way to think about the colon is it's almost like a deflated balloon. And you're trying to navigate you know, a tube through it with a camera on the tip of it. And so one of the ways you can tell the difference between a novice and an expert is a novice has to, you actually have the ability to inflate the tube. You can put air pressure in there. And in order to see where they're going, the novice has to constantly inflate that tube in order to see where they're going. So you can actually measure the difference between a novice and an expert because a novice is gonna actually have to use way more cable. Um, and so we built this whole inflation system in the game where you're going through and you're inflating and we're scoring you based on how much you inflate and all these physics mechanics and things like that. When we actually put that in front of a, uh, a practicing gastroenterologist, they were playing it. They were like, well, this part of the game is boring. What are you talking about? You told us this was the hard part. Well, this is the hard part for residents. But actually for me, once you become good at this, it's second nature. I know how to navigate my way through a deflated or an inflated colon. Just please just get me to the action. You know. Bring me in a couple, you know, 10 centimeters before the bleeding, you know, before the bleed and let me go manage it. And so we ended up really sort of restructuring the game and pulling out some of the features because it turned out they weren't fun, which is, you know, par for the course for making the game. We do this all the time. We come up with great ideas for features, often based on user feedback that turn out when you actually play test them, they're not fun. 
we end up doing things like that a lot, uh, you know, when you're trying to make a game in a genre that has never existed before. Yeah. <clears throat> the first time I heard about your company, Sam, I thought this is, this is fantastic. Like, why hasn't this existed in this way before? Like it almost like, it's never something I would have thought of, but once I heard the description, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Are you starting to see, are you still in the front by yourself? Or are you seeing people come up behind you and, and, uh, and, you know, fill out the category with more competitors? So we're starting to, so part of the vision of the company is we, you know, I said, we want games to be accepted in healthcare. And that's sort of the healthcare side of it. From the game side of it, we look at what we're doing is creating a new genre. What is the apex achievement in the games industry? It's not just creating a successful game. It's creating an entirely new genre. The first person shooter, the real-time strategy game, the match three, whatever it is, creating a new genre of games. And social, right? At Level X, we view what we're doing as creating a new genre of medical games. What is a characteristic of a genre? There isn't only one player in the genre. There's an ecosystem. And so we look forward to the day that there is that ecosystem of, of game studios in healthcare. What we're starting to see now is a few interesting players in VR that have gone from like the really ugly sort of simulations, like kind of like the 90s technology to starting to actually use game engines to make simulators that run on VR headsets and that look better. Um, so we're starting to see that quality bar go up. Um, when it comes to things like actually really sort of using game mechanics, I mean, some of the games that we create here, there's no visual, there's no, there's no, you know, open heart surgery. It's a diagnosis puzzle. It's a treatment strategy game. You're presented with data and you have to make decisions. We're not yet seeing that. Um, you know, we haven't, there, there's still a gap, right? We're still sort of really, we're really sort of like leading the cutting edge there. Um, my expectation is over the coming years, you'll start seeing other studios yeah. take on not just not just trying to get to the graphical quality, but also, you know, yeah. raise the bar on game design. It's such an interesting point because uh, technology is such where we can recreate uh, a virtual, you know, world, right? But is that virtual world interesting and fun and makes you want to come back and try again? And that's where play comes in. So to your point, you've got some games where are just more strategy. It's, it's less about, oh, this looks so real. It's less about that. It's more of, am I learning because it's engaging and I want to learn? Ooh, I got a good score there and I beat my last one, you know, that type of thing. And I, it's so, uh, people just don't get it. I, I think in some cases they just don't understand their brain doesn't think that way. That's not the world they come from. And so they're just so focused on like high fidelity realism. Well, cause they, that's what they, like if you don't come from the games industry, right? You can look at it and you see the most shallow things, right? You're like, okay, oh, I see it looks real. All right, we gotta make it look good. Okay, Check, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of companies historically have struggled even trying to do that cause that problem is hard, but right. you bring in the right people from the games industry, you can do that. The next thing though, that people don't see is the depth of sort of the neuroscience basis of game design that we've been testing over the last three decades on 3 billion people. You know, how do you create systems that, you know, balance let's say things like reward and frustration, challenge and skill? Like how do you maximize dopamine release at the right frequency to maximize engagement and learning? Yep. And what happens is people look at games and they scrape off the most obvious stuff. Oh, there's a badge. Oh, okay, great. If I add, if I take my boring experience and I slap a badge on and I reward someone for completing it with a badge, then it'll be fun. 
dude, we didn't, we didn't even invent badges in the video games industry. We stole that crap from the Girl Scouts. Like that is the most obvious shallow, like, no, you're missing the point. You've got to look under the covers, all the visual effects that are timed perfectly based on when you succeed, how we time, how difficult the level is to, you know, so you fail just the right number of times, but you don't give up, you keep playing, and then we reward you with, you know, it's all of these, you know, multi-frequency game loops and flow curves and, you know, not, and all of these systems that we've developed over decades in the games business, but these are the, this is the part of the games industry people don't even see, right? They look at games, they see a toy.